Welcome to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I am your host, Kevin Zaid, and tonight discussing Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, Phantom Thread, I am joined by my co-host, Jacob Davis, and a special guest, co-worker Mike. You've heard him referenced on the podcast many a times, and as we do touch briefly, co-worker Mike is the one who inspired my recent rewatch of all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies, including several of the ones I hadn't seen. We kind of discovered the journey together. Meanwhile, my co-host Jacob and I have a, a rich history with Paul Thomas Anderson spanning over the last decade. This is our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. We enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully it gives you something to talk about and something to look forward to. Welcome to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Every week, we talk about film, sometimes new. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. Sometimes old. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Films that inspire creativity. Give my creation! Films that inspire hope. I'm gonna see the world! Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum, and then I'm gonna build things. I'm gonna build airfields, I'm gonna build... Films that take you to a place you never knew existed. I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. Sometimes, films that are just entertaining. We hope that when you listen to us, you walk away with a new idea, a new perspective, or at least you have a good time. Are you not entertained? PTA came out with uh, Inherent Vice. That was his most recent film until Phantom Thread, right? Feature film, yeah. He did like a a documentary called Junun from about um an Israeli composer meeting in India with Johnny Greenwood the yeah. guy who composes most of his films Did you watch it? Uh no, but I want to. Mm. I hear it's I do I hear it's good. <laughs> do you, oh, oh yeah, Mike, uh welcome to uh welcome to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Mike. Uh yeah. I introduced you Thank in you. the intro, but uh uh welcome Great to be here. <laughs> big, fan, big fan of what you two do. Oh, thank oh, thank you. you. I I also welcome you. Sometimes I don't know if I don't feel like I necessarily have that authority, but I am also glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, so, Mike, you uh, you wanted to join us for this discussion because you loved our PTA episode back when it was the Zade story and Jacob was a guest host and now he's a co-host. Uh, but yeah, we covered all what, seven of his prior films. You did. Yes. yes. Yeah. Is it seven? I was, I was slightly, uh, I was like, Oh geez. He doesn't even ask me to be on the show when we took that PTA journey together. I don't know if you remember that. That's true. You that are the inspiration. I started it, really. I initiated that journey <laughs> because it's when I started putting together. That was really when I started putting together um, that, like, my love of films, like, had common denominators called directors. And that, like, it's really where I switched from saying, even though I still love them, where it used to be like, oh, like, so take Leonardo DiCaprio. Love him as an actor. Not my favorite, but I love him. But I, I would watch anything he was in because I'm like, oh, I love Leo. 
And then I look at if you look at Leo's films, they're just almost always directed by fantastic directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that I really love, like Spielberg and you know Scorsese. Um, Scorsese and yeah, he needs to do a PTA film. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that'd <laughs> yeah. Be. <laughs> but, so that was kind of my discovery, and I just started watching all of these films, and I had that moment where I used to think Phantom or not Phantom Thread. We we're just watching that. Um, it's kind of a funny story. Remember what I told you about? Uh, God, what was the film? It was Punch, Punch Drunk, Drunk Love. Love, and you were like, I spent probably over a decade thinking I hated that movie because I went into it when it first came out thinking I was watching an Adam Sandler movie. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's pretty much what I watched back then was yeah. just dumb popcorn comedies. And I still love those, but man, that was a disappointing movie. It was like horrible. I think I even wrote a um, when I first got in Letterbox, wrote a horrible review about it, and then I had to amend said review after I watched it because I watched it and I was like, oh my god, this movie is so good. <laughs> like it was uh, like I don't know if I've ever felt more anxious watching a film in my life. You know, yeah. I'm like. One of us is going to explode and break something. <laughs> I don't know who's doing it first. And I'm usually a pretty like non-stressed guy, but that movie stressed me out and I loved it. So, yeah. But, you know, then when I – back to the whole point of this, I'm going doing one of those tangents I do. Um, when I heard your guys' show with Jacob, I was like, man, this guy is way more even of a PTA head than me. <laughs> like I didn't know even though he made a freaking documentary. I thought you were going to talk about that My Valentine, the Haim music video thing. Oh, Which no, was that awesome. was cool, too, yeah. And he I've also did that. a few... Yeah, I, I, I did. He also did a few um, Radiohead music videos as well. Uh, yeah. Just a few months before that. His, yeah. And I, I think... Actually, oh, good. Uh, I, and Junin, for the most part, I, I believe, is <clears throat> almost exclusively like he's just filming what's happening with... with uh, Johnny Greenwood and this composer and all these uh, musicians. Uh, so it's almost more like like a an extended concert video mm. than well, than like an actual documentary. I know the reason he does a lot of stuff for Johnny Greenwood, a lot of Radiohead videos and stuff. It's kind of the trade off for uh, score in his films. You know, they just it's kind yeah. of. Um, but another thing too, I I was reading about was. He did, like, because it's kind of weird. He did the Heim video and, like I said, just kind of documenting. What I read was um, this film, you know, his normal cinematographer that he works with, or I guess his director of photography, um, was unavailable. So he kind of took that role on himself. And a lot of this was testing out the look, trying to get the texture. And the, this is actually really, I won't go too in depth. I read some really cool stuff on all the things he did. And the film, I mean, it looks amazing. But. He achieved that actually by going backwards and making it look like worse. Like he was lower oh, in like resolution and like flattening his images and stuff. And like, I don't know, whatever he did, it looks great. So, but like a lot of those videos and stuff he was doing, he was trying to um, perfect those techniques to try to see how he wanted the film to look. So I'm actually really interested to go back and kind of rewatch some of that stuff. Yeah, me too now. Yeah. <clears throat> So we watched Phantom Thread. It's been wow, two weeks for me, week week and a half maybe. Yeah. Uh, when did you watch it, Mike? Um. Ooh, wow. Uh. What day did you go to uh, Utah? The seventeenth. I, I went on a date with myself and saw it. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> first That's time right, at the Salem Twitter. Cinema. 
all the talk you've done about local theater, um, I'm 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 bought in by the way. So uh, shame, it's a great theater. Shameless, shameless free plug for Salem Cinema. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so Phantom Thread, uh, starring Daniel Day Lewis, Vicky Creeps, and who's the one that's nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> uh, it's it, right. Leslie. It's Leslie Manville. Excellent. Uh, and that's, it's pretty much, those are pretty much the three main characters. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis plays uh, Woodcock, Reynolds Woodcock, who is a, uh, a seamstress, seamster, sewer, dressmaker. He's a dressmaker. Uh, Vicky Creeps plays his love interest, to put it most simply. And uh, Leslie Manfield plays his sister and uh and really that's like i i was trying to explain to my father that this is a romantic comedy drama with a psychotic thriller (laughs) (laughs) undertow (laughs) and i don't really know how else to explain it (laughs) i think you can just call those dramas (laughs) but i mean yeah like it's funny you mentioned the comedy thing i was like i remember like maybe 30 minutes into it going, I did not expect this to be hilarious. And it is so funny. It's yeah. funny, right? I'm not no. the only one. I yeah, laughed. No, all the moments in the trailer that I thought were like horrifying ended up being really funny in the film. Oh, it's a brilliant job of using like tension and then just finding like a clever, just normal way to break that tension as like humor. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. There's a scene... Uh, there's a scene where he's where I mean this happens several times, but there he's eating breakfast, and uh, Vicky Creeps is eating breakfast with him, and she's buttering her toast, and it, it is so intense that you can't help but laugh. Like it's just you, all you can hear. The sound engineering is pretty perfect, and you can just you know that recognizable sound of the toast scraping on the the, the, the knife scraping on the toast. And it's just, you never get annoyed by that sound until here. You can see that he's visibly like dying inside. Like she's scratching her nails on a chalkboard. And I just laughed because I, I might be because it was funny. It might be because I didn't know how to handle the tension. It was funny. Everybody laughed in my theater with it, and I had a pretty full theater. So yeah. there was a, I, I will say there was several parts where I just laughed out loud, and then I was thinking, I'm the only one laughing right now, though. And <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of – I don't know. Once I realized – I think once I bought in that this was a comedy, I think I saw humor where other people were like not quite getting that it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. I laughed a lot too, where other people didn't laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jacob and uh, Jacob, his wife Kelsey, and I watched it in a theater together. Uh, we got prime seats. We yeah. were there early enough. We were like a half hour early because we wanted the good seats, uh, smack dab in the middle, both ways. Yeah. Uh, oh, you guys. We had a pretty full cool theater. Cool. You prefer like dead center, like. Like middle center, I, like I like top I dead do. center. I'm an up top guy. I, the only, the only way I want to be in the top is if there's talkers. Like if I know ahead of time that there are people who are talk going to be talkers and they're behind me, I want to move behind them. Yeah. 
But other than that, I prefer smack dab middle. Yeah, I generally do too as far as <clears throat> where I just feel... I don't know, because I still feel like I'm a part of the audience. I, th I think from a vantage point that, you, that you're right, Mike, that top center is probably the best, but there's also just kind of something about like being right in the middle of everything. And probably to some degree, it's that I claimed it before anyone else did too. Like there's <laughs> probably some sort of mental like ownership, like pride <laughs> issue going on. Yeah, exactly. This is my theater now. <laughs> my theater. Yeah. For me, there's an element of having to look up just a little bit. Yeah. Not like I feel like because if you're in the very back and you're looking straight forward or maybe even down a little bit, it's like the screen isn't quite as encapsulating yeah. like where if you sit in the center and you have to look up to hit the top of the screen not the whole thing because if you're sitting in the front and you have to bend your neck the whole way that's not fun for anybody but i have to do that for ladybird oh loved Lady thankfully Bird. it was a couch so i had to like lay on the couch yeah i did it as well yeah ladybird's phenomenal uh we i don't think we covered it we didn't we it's might have to now. do a retro the important thing, yeah I think. We, well we might do a little go ahead mike yeah, the, the important thing though is being dead center of all of that though. Not like like you said, middle up. I mean, the front's horrible, but like there's something about being like not even like slightly off center, like dead center that it just makes it so much more <laughs> yeah. appealing. And it's probably all mental. But, like if I'm like two seats left or right of center, I do spend a little bit brooding over the fact that I didn't get my center seats. <laughs> 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 all right well so let's let's get a little bit back to phantom thread uh there's a few things that stood out to me one uh i don't think either of you will disagree but johnny greenwood's score is essential to this movie mm -hmm. um the tone that the movie takes uh in the way i described it like it doesn't work without johnny greenwood's score and I personally am a Hans Zimmer apologist. Obviously, we covered Hans Zimmer early this uh, our episode one actually of one brew over the cuckoo's nest. But uh, and I loved the Dunkirk soundtrack. But this soundtrack blows it out of the water as far as like uh, impact fun. on the film. Oh, nice. Yeah, I see. Uh, Inappropriate. It the is too soon. It's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too soon. It is. It it dis it uh it controls the entire tone of the film, and uh, it was marvelous. Uh, I have loved Johnny Greenwood's work in Paul Thomas Anderson's films, such as There Will Be Blood and The Master. But this one for me was a step further because, uh, in those other films, it was required to be ominous but in this film it was also required to be romantic and light at times and i'm not sure i felt that way in the other films i felt like it was more pressing and more dramatic and this one uh like the little love violin pieces are pleasant mm -hmm. and then with the two like it sounds like he turns it out of tune for a moment and all of a sudden you're in like a horror scene and I just, I was blown away by the music in this film. That's one of the things I wanted to make sure to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> uh, purchased it as soon as I could, the soundtrack. 
Uh, it came out on Spotify, I think a week before the movie dropped nationwide. Um, and then I think like three days before the film came out, they released it for purchase on like iTunes. Mm. And, um, so I had been listening to it for a couple days already, uh, and Kels wouldn't listen to it because she's like, I don't want spoilers. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> the tracks are titled like "For the Hungry Boy," like, so they feed a peasant. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's a, it's, I do it's now, a good scene but feed. right. Um, <laughs> yes, the peasant feeding scene is wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I and I've. I've listened to it at least once a day mm. since the film came out because it's just, it's so moving and it's so different. You have, even within just one piece, even within uh, a set of bars, you have something that sounds romantic and then just has this slight dissonance at one point before going back into it. Um, and with such little instrumentation too. It's very simple. Yeah, I think that, like it feels like maybe max there are ten people I mean, playing at once. Is there anything ever. in it but yeah. like string instruments? There's piano, a, a little bit of piano. Sorry, so it's percussion. A baiter. <laughs> I baited you there. That's that's <laughs> that's all right. I. I'm going to refrain from jokes that I want to make. Uh, yeah, I think there's very light, yeah. very light percussion in a couple of parts. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's all now. Now, both of you guys, strings. to a lesser extent, are musicians, or at least you play, right? I know Kevin does a bit, and Jacob, mm -hmm. I think you mentioned earlier yeah. on the podcast that you play as well, correct? Yeah. I'm obviously, I'm not a yeah, music person, and but I mean, I, I first thing I wrote down, I'm not even a score guy. I'm getting to be more one. Thanks for that, Kevin. Um, yeah, I really, I, that's not even, You're it welcome. sounds sarcastic. <laughs> it's not. It's been pleasant. Um, my first note is score, expletive, wow. Um, and like what I thought was great. I mean, like everything you guys said, you guys kind of hit all my notes on that about the, you know, kind of how it just on that, like that bad draw of the violin just for a second that kind of makes it dirty and then right back into the clean. But, um, and I think we even talked about this. It's like how uh, another interesting thing, listening to it outside of the context of the film was like a completely different feeling to it, even than watching it with the film. And it was still like delightful and when you watch it with the film, it just it fit that period piece so well. It felt like music of that time. Like mm. I'd like to say it, it just kind of does like a great performance where it kind of just gets lost in the movie, but it actually it's too good to get lost. Um, it, it really I actually think I went as far as to say this yeah. might be one of the my favorite scores I've ever heard, period. Not just like this year. It's uh, like I don't even know I liked classical style sounding music before this so but i'm like you i don't listen to it every day but i've probably listened to the entire score <laughs> 10 or 15 times in the past couple of weeks it's been great yeah it's <laughs> it's very good i i also i i 
commute to school an hour each way, mm. so <laughs> I usually have time to listen to the same album over and over again if I feel like it. Um, so <clears throat> Daniel Day Lewis, Lewis, Daniel Day Lewis is uh, obviously a master actor. Uh, he dives into each role. Um, you know, there's you know, articles on how this role put him into such a deep depression and all that stuff because he's what you would call a method actor. He apprenticed in a London sewing shop for like six months before the role, learned to sew. Uh, he is Daniel Day-Lewis in this film. Like, he's just phenomenal. But for me, the the catch, like, the thing that elevated his performance was the two women in this movie, uh, Vicky Creeps and Bill. Leslie Manfield. Bill. Manville. Leslie Mann is uh, Judd Apatow's wife. Yeah. Um, uh, and Vicky Creeps, especially uh, to point out her snubbed Oscar Incredible. performance. Um, yeah. She, she was amazing. Uh, she held her own... And not only did she hold her own, she elevates Daniel Day-Lewis, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I I might even argue that I felt like... Um, I'm so happy because I, I, I was a little worried that the film would be another... Um, I know that PTA wanted to make a movie like this film, an older film called Rebecca, which is about a relationship with like a pretty heavy power structure and so i actually think that her performance she kind of became the main character for me um i completely agree yeah like it 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 almost i almost felt like daniel day lewis started as like the main character and then it kind of like transitioned into this film oh, about this definitely. woman and her performance yeah her performance to me was was mind blowing and just such a good it it, it was the best it's probably like oh, said the best performance what's the best way to put it for any female that i've seen and there's been some yeah. great ones that evening yeah. foods uh god i always say it wrong uh ladybird what's her name i can never say it right her show like Sir hers show. was great but like, Sir just, like so Sir like an so good <laughs> so yeah there's a scene in the film where she says where she and the sister are having a conversation and she goes no i want to do this because i want to love him the way i want to love him not the way that he wants me to love him essentially that's a paraphrase and that scene for me was where i realized like you said jacob this wasn't his story like yeah. he's the powerhouse that gets you kind of invested into the story at the beginning until you realize it's all no, about her name is alma. her name is becca right it's it's funny no, you alma. mentioned alma. rebecca because um Thank i've heard you. this compared to uh hitchcock's film rebecca which i've never seen <clears throat> But like they say that that's uh seems like it's been a big yeah. influence. I don't know if PTA has ever said it was, but um, but I have seen a few Hitchcocks, and I can you kind of see some Hitchcock. I think he did say that. Yeah, 
Very much so. There, this is not a light film for sure. I say it's a romantic comedy, but that's uh, no. It's not Fifty First Date. It's <laughs> no. Um, this is an intense movie. It's an intense relationship. Uh, uh, but yeah, I just and the sister is also so powerful in this film. Um, if you like acting, this movie is the only movie you need to watch for the year pretty much like yeah there you know there's some other great performances which we'll cover in our end of the year recap which we're actually going to do closer to oscar closer to the oscars i uh, for obvious reasons yeah. uh what is that production note i yes. think we'll do our top 10 of the year instead of covering the oscars we're going to do our top 10 that week Got it. or so. Um, but yeah, back to uh, Leslie Manfield, the sister. She, uh, she has a, definitely a smaller role than the other two. Like she is a supporting actress in this film, but mm-hmm. uh, without her performance, also this fails kind of is like, she's kind of like a, a big protective sister yet at the same time, she's also psychotic in her own way. <laughs> um, yeah, I just this really this movie you was so about, compelling like, to me. Her like like how important she was in this film. Um, one of the thing, another thing I read was to prep for this for like six months. Uh, um, her and Daniel Day Lewis just were talking on the phone every day, texting each other. They basically um, force fed a friendship and developed this friendly relationship. And then towards the last few last month or so before the film. He said, being the method actor, he kind of switched that and took that personal relationship that they developed and kind of um, inserted their characters into it a little bit, you know? And, like, and that's probably why they have such great Mm. chemistry between the two of them. And they were great together. Like, they were, I mean, it was so believable, like, this character. And honestly, like, it worked good because kind of one of the things I wrote down, it's like kind of one of the, things about daniel day lewis's character kind of you said he kind of falls away and it becomes alma's story but man child you know like he's all this kind of i don't really want to use the word bravado because he's not like just all out in your face but he's so everything is like structured and his way and like you're like okay this guy is um you get that um illusion that he's in control this entire time and as the film goes on you really start to see that um, Cyril lets him be in control because that allows her to run things and do things the way she wants to. And like, I just thought that that was kind of a really cool dynamic, how you kind of uh, like, he's kind of a fraud really like to himself. He thinks that he's this, but it's like, obviously his mother, I mean, there's Hmm. crazy like mother things going on with him, you know, Um, part of his relationship (laughs) with Vicky creeps, I think is that it was his, or Alma is that like, like Alma reminded him of his mother and um, what made it work was kind of, she didn't let him put her in her place in his world. And I think he ended up liking her more for it because of it. Um, But yeah, like everything Mm -hmm. had this place and it like all just kind of worked out until it didn't. And at that point you could see who the stronger person was because Cyril kind of was like, you know, when that scene, and I don't want to give it away because it's probably like one of the coolest scenes in the movie where he's at the breakfast table and she he tells her to shut up and she just snaps back at him. Um, 
Like, you see, you're laughing thinking about it. It is one of the best scenes in that mo- in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it just I know what you're talking kind about. Of like, you're, less, you're just like, man, I feel like she's actually the one in charge of this whole thing. And she just lets him think he is for his kind of hollow ego that he has. And I think that it's a, it's pretty awesome. Like, it's a really kind of cool character that shows this mm. kind of it's hard to say depth after I called uh, Reynolds Woodcock shallow, but like this depth of character about this like shallow guy. Rambled for like ten. Right, uh, Jacob. What do what do you have to say about it that we haven't covered yet? I was shocked by how beautiful the film was. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why. Uh, I was shocked, but, um, there were so many moments. There's a staircase scene that's done differently than most staircase scenes are done. Uh, it's still, it still ends with you looking through multiple floors and seeing people walking on the staircase, but the way that it goes into it is like took my breath away and this is in the first four friggin minutes of the movie um the other thing is there are so many needles going through thread at a close uh at a very like the camera is very close to it and the needle is always you're just waiting for it to prick a thumb or a finger and it's always right next to it but never pokes it and every time i think it's it's either two or three times that there's a there's a particular like finger and the needle like on on fabric uh shot and every time it happened i just would get chills for some reason uh the lighting was great i just thought Excuse me. I just thought that it was a visually stunning film um, in a very different way from the ways that uh, The Master was visually stunning or the way that um, Punch Drunk Love is visually stunning. Uh, for me, it was... I had the day before we went to go see it, I had listened to PTA on the Nerdist podcast, mm. um, which is great because it's an hour and 18 minutes of Paul Thomas Anderson talking to Chris Hardwick. And he talked about how uh, it can be popular and it, it, it makes sense because it's beautiful, but like wide landscape shots are, are really in. And for the most part, always have been. Um, and how he says, but if you just keep doing that, it's a tra- it becomes a travelogue. And so his shots become about how do you case the character in the best way. Uh, hmm. And I really, and maybe it's because I had heard that, but it, it was there when I was watching that film. Right. Um, it's really about... And most of it t- takes place indoors as well. It's really too yes. Or in enclosed spaces, like the car. Yeah, and it's all very white. 
like it's very white. Yeah, the the house. So it, it, yeah, yeah, it is uh, almost two sets. This is something else I picked well. up on, mm-hmm. and I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately. Is so you kind of have uh, these two worlds of uh, Reynolds Woodcock. There is his. There's the house of Woodcock, which is you know everything's prop, everything's prim. It really embody his personality, and then he has his country house, which is really rustic, and that kind of to me becomes uh, Alma's. That's like Alma's ground, you know. That's where she really. Like he's that's where he goes to be vulnerable and where he goes to kind of like mm. decompress and everything and that's really where she shines for him. She's like she's a bigger part of his world. It's just the two of them. She doesn't have to deal with this and that and whatever. And it's kind of where you can kind of see at the beginning. You get to see like it's he's not just like this guy obsessed with sewing and designing and everything. Like when he just sees this girl, goes on a date, and he just like. It's like in normal context, the creepiest first date ever. Do you want to come back to my house and I'll make a dress on you? You know, I'll make a dress for you. Like while you're doing it, you know, like like uh, that's that's got hashtag Me Too written all over it right there. Um, <laughs> well, especially after he, especially after he's like, I have locks of hair of my mother in my coat. Yeah, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we could have a whole podcast about freaking Reynolds' mother issues and yeah. <laughs> how that pertains to Alma's thing with a guest psychiatrist on there. But, yeah. um, <laughs> man, um, I got off topic. I do that, but what I was gonna say is like one thing is great. You talk about cinematography. PTA uses both of these houses to really like frame in his shots like the the country house has all this like exposed wood um Mm -hmm. like framing on the ceilings and stuff and he really like if you look at some of the shots he'll use uh furniture and the lines of these these houses and stuff and um it really kind of points you right where you need to be looking um and it's kind of those things it's so subtle that you don't really notice it but it's amazing the way he uses that kind of structure and mm. stuff kind of really pull your eyes. And um, in the other one, like you said, you mentioned that staircase, that opening shot as he uses that staircase. He kind of goes up and down and like follows the band. It's just kind of sweeping. Um, it's really cool. But yeah. he didn't get the chance to do his like PTA long tracking shots that he does, <laughs> which I – I love where you think it's going to end because everybody else ends it there. And he's like, no, we're just going to keep walking with we're him. We're going to keep going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, like even getting rid of his usual tricks, this thing was awesome. Like yeah. it looked so good. Um, and you were talking about the white. I read too somewhere that he was actually pumping smoke into that house to get uh, that kind of washed out effect. Huh. And, huh. um, that was kind of interesting rather than use like a digital like post editing thing to do it they were putting smoke in the house and he said it was actually such an old drafty house that sometimes they'd have to stop a scene and pump more smoke into it and then other times (laughs) and reshoot something because like the smoke would just settle and they'd have way too much but it's amazing that he does stuff like that it's like he's so anti he's even i hate hipsters he's kind of a filmmaking hipster and it pays off (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's funny um, what else? We've been talking about PTA's Phantom Thread for about 40 minutes now. Um, Three or four more pages of notes. <laughs> is there anything else that's, uh, that you wanted to cover, Mike, before, uh, before we go into our ratings? 
Um, well, yeah, most of it would probably be uh, uh, kind of hitting a bit on spoilers a bit. Um, I do want to mention just uh, real quick the the set design and the costumes in this. Like, mm. were I, I mean, it was amazing. Like, I don't know if he actually made the. I know he did make his own wardrobe. I read that a bunch of stuff for his own wardrobe. He created his character clothes, um, laid out the, the, his desk and everything like that. But I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just it, the whole thing was just great as a whole. Um, like, it's amazing how much uh, influence that he got to have on that film. Yeah. Also, yeah, and uh, Daniel Day Lewis looks amazing. Like, not just the dresses that he's making, but uh, his own character costume and design was yeah. was phenomenal. Like. Uh, there, there's a few scenes that kind of focus on him dressing himself, not like dressing himself, but like there's a few scenes that kind of focus on his attire and it's, it's immaculate, just like the dresses he's yeah. making. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I thought that that was kind of interesting. It, it showed a lot of his character that it's not just like, it's, it's him through and through, not just, you know, what he creates, kind of. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, because he looks amazing. Yeah. I think we should take maybe just a little moment to talk about, like, um, and I can't remember if we did at the beginning, him, him like, deciding through this film that he is retiring because it just, like, it took so much out of him. Like, he just is, like, it's just exhausting and kind of... He's, and I heard an interview with him where he said, like, they, when they first started making this, they were laughing, um, having a good time. Like, he's saying there were moments him and Paul Thomas Anderson would laugh until they'd start crying. Um, and <laughs> um, just, like, partway through, both of them, he said, they just kind of – and I'm sure it's just the source material and kind of almost just the sadness and the – there's, like, this kind of sense of loneliness about the character, you know? And when mm-hmm. you dive that much into a character – you get uh, like he just gets he's just feeling with him and for him and everything and it just like he said it just took everything out of him and he hit this like state of depression and that's when he decided to quit acting which which he's retired before so i don't know i'm sure he'll get something people are still gonna send him scripts and he'll find something he can't refuse i think but i thought it was an interesting story yeah and when i was leaving i hope he doesn't quit completely yeah, some guy was like, um, "What's so hard about uh, being a method actor?" He was just a big man child. How does that take it out of him? The guy had no clue, <laughs> like that, like how deep, uh, you know, um, D Day—that's what I like to call him. Um, how deep uh, Daniel Day Lewis like <laughs> dives in? He didn't. And so I was like sitting there talking with him, and I'm like telling him how he went, and like you were saying, he learned to sew. He jumped right in, and, and like he pretty much became this character. And, like, he's not that type of guy. If you listen to any interviews with him, he's, like, this incredibly, like, kind of vibrant and, like, really thankful and humble, compassionate guy is my take on what I've seen of him. And, like, all he tends to ever want to play are these, like, really, like, kind of grotesque, like, heavy, like, lately, like, powerful men. Like, they're so different from him. So I could totally see that, like, taking it out of him. And, uh... I guess I would be a, a, a D-Day apologist, to use the term again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got his back, uh, and I want to see more of his stuff. 
I might even watch My Left Foot, which I've always kind of somewhat been uh, – always had my right foot in that pool. That's a terrible <laughs> pun. <laughs> All right, we can get That's a bad pun. Bad pun. All right, let's uh yeah, let's do it. Let's uh let's rate the movie. Mike, our guest. Go All right, first. as I um I don't know if I texted it or tweeted it. This is my six beer film. Um I guess since you let me go first, that makes it the six pack of uh one brew. Um and yeah, I'm owning that. That's definitely a six pack for me. Good. Good for you. Um, I am going to give this... So, like... Uh, it was a 5 out of 5 and a 6-pack award for oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Right. Uh, for me, I'll go first out of the two of us, Jacob. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I am going to rate this a 5 out of 5 as well. And... Uh, I am also going to give this a six-pack. Um, you know, we've been talking for the last 45 minutes about this film, but uh, this is a director that has wowed me on so many occasions, um, yet this is one of the first films I've been really excited to share and recommend to other people because it was... It truly was amazing to me. And, you know, Mike and I, uh, we were talking, Mike, you and I were talking uh, a bit before we started recording uh, to do sound checks about how, uh, where this ranks on our PTA lists on, you know, where his directorial debut. And for this one, the six pack award really comes down to rewatchability. I can't wait to watch this movie again. And if we were to say, hey, let's throw on a PTA film, this is going to be my vote. And so I, I kind of have to give it that six beer achievement award. So, uh, so yeah, this is, uh, this is getting a six pack from me. And, uh, you know, with the whole six pack thing being an occasional thing, I don't have to worry about people saying <clears throat> you give it out too often. But I have no, uh, no hard, feelings on giving this a six pack award so where does it land on your uh, pta list you figured that out yet i it has to be my it, it is my number one it's my favorite and you know that might suffer a bit of recency bias um you know but in in two or three years from now i don't see it slipping behind the master which has been my favorite for a long time I think partially due to Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix performances, but uh, but Vicky Creeps, man, I want to see everything she's ever been in. I thought she was so good, and uh, and and this was so much fun. Like I laughed, I gasped, uh, I had so much fun in this film that I'm I wouldn't even hesitate to watch this again right now. Mm. And so I think that's why it moves up. To number one for now. Yeah. Um. N- now I'm just checking to see, like, did I did I m- miss something? Do I need to be more critical of it? Uh, <laughs> because I just feel like it's a wash now, since we're all saying pretty much the same thing. But uh, this is a five for me, and definitely 
my the one film this year that I am positive is a six pack for me. Uh, I I was absolutely floored by it. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one of the first reviews I read after the film was that it's the year's best food film as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think that was the, I think that was actually the New Yorker, and it was like a legitimate like they made a case for it. Um, Food's a huge and part either, of the film. It is, yeah. Uh, but also importantly to me is it was satisfying, like a, like a long good meal. I I savored it. I really enjoyed it. I. <clears throat> I'm I'm still kind of in awe of it. Like I I usually think about it, you know, one or two times a day because I'm just enamored with it. Um, and I do think there is probably some recency bias on my part, um, and I don't friggin' give a heck. Like uh, uh, I have not had that good of a theater experience in a long time this this year has been one of the best years in film for me Thank since sure. 2007 agreed it's been a great yeah. year um and so uh and to walk out of that film still being like and that was my favorite so far like i i feel like it instantly just earns a six-pack without even having to think about it you know like yeah. without even having to think about it you're like this is um what was that i i I tweeted out um, um, what was that? I was like, normally I it takes me a day or two to process a PTA film. So why am I ready to call this a masterpiece like right here and now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say it's my favorite PTA film. Um, whereas I think it's better than Boogie Nights. I just have this relationship with it where it's probably always going to be my favorite of his films. But um, it's my third under There Will Be Blood. But it is, like, so neck and neck. I mean, honestly, my top four with him are all what I would call five stars and six six beers. Mm. Like, four out of his, what is it, eight movies now? So half his films are six packs for me. So I like to get drunk on yeah. PTA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's uh, – that's, yeah. Three, five out of fives. This is a uh, go see it, everybody. Um, yeah, and three six packs. That is that is thirty three beers yeah. total. And if the Academy's listening, which I'm sure <laughs> they are, to use an old Zade story joke, um, let's not make the same <laughs> mistakes you made in two thousand and seven and two thousand and thirteen. Was it thirteen or twelve? I can't remember. Where two thousand yeah two thousand twelve where you you just go for the Johnny come lately and you just shun shun my boy PTA um it's time for him to get his uh his his best picture due um like they you will regret it years later just like you do with there will be blood and the master even though I do love no country I I personally prefer yeah. no country to old men or for all men to uh, there will be blood but I understand the opinion 
whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good film, but it's the Coen Brothers masterpiece. No, this, a serious man is their masterpiece. Oh, movies. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I just make the point because, like nowadays, it's pretty much widely regarded that There Will Be Blood is the greatest film of this century so far. Like that, it is considered that by so many yeah. people, and like it just was in the heyday. They're just like everybody is like changed on it. Like even I listen to a lot of top ten lists and stuff, and everybody that brought that up they're just like you know it was only like it was like my fifth best movie that year and in hindsight it was like it has aged so much better and it's everybody's favorite now of that year so except for kevin's it's true everybody's <laughs> just jumping on the train nobody's willing to stay true to their first opinion <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i'm just kidding i wow. like both films both uh great cool well, uh, we've already been talking for an hour, so I don't think we need to get to uh, any sort of homebrew for this specific episode. No, I feel okay with that. Um, I feel happy. I feel like we touched on enough PTA that you could check out his catalog if you're looking for something to watch at home. Uh, there's quite a few on Amazon Prime and HBO available yeah. right now. Um, they're not all this fun, <laughs> but they're all this great. <laughs> No, no great, they're not they're all, all this like fun. This. They are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That being said, this movie is at Salem Cinema right now. Another shameless plug. Um, if you like movies, which I assume you do because you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, you really should go check it out. And as far as content that's objectionable for those, mainly my parents, <laughs> who I know find certain things objectionable, um, love you guys. Uh, it's this really, it's, it's got a little bit of language and very little, like, really offensive, uh, topics in this film. Uh, would you agree, Jacob? It's a pretty soft R. It is a pretty soft R. I still think your parents won't like it, but that's for different reasons. I'm going to bleep that out because I've been telling them to go see it. No, they should. They just won't <laughs> like it. Uh, yeah, sometimes like you should do things that you don't like. I have... <laughs> yeah. I think I, I actually am, I'm, I'm actually think my mom will really like this. You do? I do. You do. I just like I telling people my favorite movie um, of the year is about a man that sews dresses. I mean, because it's not at all what the film right? is about. It's the premise at most, you know. But Right. <laughs> My wife gets out of it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's hilarious, and that's you know. Anyways, uh, when I saw the trailer for this film, I was like, "Wow, I'm not excited for a dress or a, a movie about a dressmaker starring Daniel Day Lewis and two women I've never heard of before." <laughs> and I'm so glad I walked in thinking that because. I was just ashamed when I walked out how much yeah, I loved it. and especially it. like Jacob was saying, the procedural scenes of sewing. I could have used more of them. <laughs> yes. Great. They were beautiful. It, oh, man, yeah. it was so good. So good. Oh. Uh, well, Mike, uh, anything you want to add before you get out of here? Uh, yeah, but I, I won't because, like, like I said, I get PTA and I love this film. I can't stop thinking back. I could go on and on and on <laughs> and, and on. Go see it, like Kevin said. It's well, thanks for joining us. 
I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you asked to join. I kind of uh, this was a right fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, it didn't I'm take glad that you, I'm glad, glad you, you allowed did, me on. It was. It was fun. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I guess that's it. I, I'm really awkward at ending these things. You are really awkward at ending yeah. things. And that awkwardly wraps our conversation about Paul Thomas Anderson's The Phantom Thread. This podcast is brought to you by the Zade Story Studios, and you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, you can follow me and Jacob on Twitter. You can get all of that information as well as an email address at onebrewover.com. As far as Coworker Mike, you can follow him on Twitter at Coworker Mike. And you can also follow, follow him on Letterboxd at mpaisno. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week here on One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So, yeah, I have one question here before I just break into it and surprise you here with it, um, just because it could do you want to touch on the whole freaking like how everybody like not everybody how there's cause I found like four or five more views just doing a little research today about how people are interpreting this film as like horribly masculine at all or do you just want to bypass that what do you think? interesting uh be, yeah because it's interesting um i would interpret it completely the opposite way i also would interpret it as more her story well anyone who thinks that missed the point i, I agree with you uh yeah Maybe just touch on it if it comes in the context. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that that's a road we need I, to like go down specifically. I like, I don't I think wanna... that that's a point for me that I need to like address. But if it comes up, because well, if you actually look it up, yeah, this is why I thought of it when I was doing my research and I typed in Phantom Thread. It is like, or even well, not Phantom Thread too much. This is all just screen times. Do Phantom Thread like reviews? It's like the very. Um, it was like the second review is says basically how is this not toxic masculinity but okay we'll just avoid it I think yeah especially with the way I tend to fixate on BS <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> especially in defense of my sacred yes. PTA <laughs>